Well, good morning, everybody. I, um, I hope, like Lorinda, um, you have found this series to be as helpful as I know I have. Um, I was talking to a guy who pulled me aside um, uh, last weekend, and he said, man, he said, I love the story of the early church. He said, but I got to tell you, on the one hand, it's inspiring, but on the other hand, it's so challenging, you know, and I said, man, I, I could not agree um, but really, I hope that you've been enjoying it. Hey, I wanted to mention this. Make sure you check out on your way out today the progress on the care center that has happened just this week. Each week, we see a new phase go up, and, um, and that's, that's been really exciting. Well, today, what we're going to do is we're going to jump into chapter 6 in our series through the book of Acts. But before we do that, I wanted to give you a look into what's coming in the coming weeks and also even in, clear into the, to, to the months that are ahead of us. I I really feel like God has kind of knit together our, where we're headed uh, for, the, for the coming weeks. And so I just wanted to give you kind of a window into that this morning. So if you take out your program, flip to the back of it, and I just want to walk you through some of that today. You'll see there today we're again in the book of Acts, and then we've got four more weeks that we're going to be in the book of Acts until we take a break, and then we're going to come back to the book of Acts in the fall and finish it up. You'll notice on April 9th, we've got Jeff Dodge is going to be with us that morning. He's the lead pastor of Cornerstone Church in Ames, Iowa. And Jeff was instrumental to my uh, faith journey, um, particularly early on, and to Christina, my wife, as well. And uh, he's the lead pastor of Cornerstone Church. And that church is doing phenomenal things throughout the Midwest and literally around the globe now, particularly on college campuses. And so it'll be a privilege to have Jeff here with us on on the the week before Easter. And then you'll notice the 19th, Easter is already upon us. And so, as Lorinda said, we're in the midst of a lot of praying and a lot of planning uh, with Easter on the horizon. Wanted you to know, if you've not been baptized, um, it would be a great opportunity for you to be baptized that morning. Next weekend, you're going to hear a lot more about how you can get signed up and everything that goes along with that. Uh, Also wanted you to know that as we lead up to Easter, we're going to have a special day where as a church, we invite the entire church to fast and to pray with us because we really sense that God wants to do something significant around Easter this year. You know, we've got that big outreach event on the 8th, which is going to be a blast. And so we want to be praying about that. And then we want to be praying about Easter uh, Sunday morning as well. So that's coming up and we'll get you more information about that. After Easter then, just kind of scrolling down there with you, um, you're going to see that we're going to be in a series called Love Can. And that series is one that we're doing in conjunction with other churches in the city. Now, you might not know this, but God is doing something very unique among churches in our city. I was talking to a guy last week. He works with churches all over the country. And he said, I don't know if, if you guys know this, the pastors, speaking of the pastors in the city, he said, but God is doing something unique. He says, I have yet to see a network of like-minded churches that are collectively trying to help people know the God that loves them. I was in a room uh, just a couple of weeks ago with some of our staff and about 100 leaders from throughout the city. And we were talking about diversity, and we were talking about what does it look like for the church to grow together, for the city to be reached together. Um, And I just, I mentioned those things to you because it's a beautiful thing, and I think you'd be so, uh, so incredibly uh, proud of it. So that series will be a a great one. Again, it's called Love Can. And then on May 21st, we're going to start another new series, and that's going to be called Things to Fight For. Now, I've been mulling over the talks for this series actually for about two years, and um, I don't know about you, but I know in my life there are certain things that are worth fighting for, and there are also things that you sometimes, you have to fight for them. 
You have to, don't you, fight for a good marriage, a strong marriage. You got to fight for that. There are times when the church has to rise up and we have to say, we're going to fight for the next generation. Or we look at a marginalized group in our society and the church says, we're going to fight for that. Or you look at this whole idea of, of how hard it is sometimes to forgive someone. You have to fight sometimes to not be bitter, don't you? So those are some of the topics that we're going to talk about. We're also going to look at one uh, that's going to be, what does it mean to fight for a vibrant faith? You know, sometimes you have to fight mentally, don't you, to remind yourself of who you are as a child of God um, and all that goes with that. Things worth fighting for. So that'll be really uh, a lot of fun. So that's a window into where we're headed. And I want to encourage you, whether it's in the Acts series, the Love Can series, or the Things to Fight For series, invite a friend. It's a great season to kind of look at who's around you and to invite them along with you. Lastly, I just want to say this to you as a church. Um, I transitioned into the role as lead pastor in January, and I just want to say thank you uh, to you as a church. Thank you for your support and your encouragement. So many of you have pulled me aside, a guy just again on Friday morning who's just him and his family have been a vital part of Brookside for decades. And he pulled me aside and he said, hey, how's it going? I just want you to know we are praying for you. We're praying for the church. And, and I just wanted to take a minute this morning and just say, uh, on behalf of Christina and myself, we're just so grateful. We're so grateful for this church. We're so grateful that God has brought together an incredible staff. And so, so thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your encouragement. Um, every day I feel like that I progress in this role, the longer I'm in this role, the more grateful I am for the past, right? For where Brookside has been up to this point, those 35 years. But I'm also, as I kind of look at our church and where we're headed, it is so exciting to think about all the good to be done and the things that God has for us as a church. And so thank you. Thank you for being a vital part of it and really pressing in. Okay, you ready? Let's dive in. Let's pray together, and then we're going to get to Acts chapter 6, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, it is an absolute privilege to be able to gather in, the, in this place. And Lord, we just want to pray this morning that you would do something special in our midst. And Father, we invite you to do that. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your Holy Spirit speaks to us, that it inspires us, that it challenges us, that it comforts us, that it brings us hope sometimes when that's what we need. And so, Father, I, I, I pray, Lord, now that you would do that in us, that you would speak. And I just want to encourage you right now, church. The Lord knows you're weak. He knows some of you have had a painful week. He knows some of you have had nothing but joy in the last week. But whatever that is, I pray, even right now, would you just take that before him, the God who knows you and loves you, and would you lay it before him and would you say, okay, God, now you have my heart. And now, God, I give you this time. And now, God, I pray that you would speak to me and that my heart would be open to listen. And so would you even just say a simple prayer like that, like, Lord, I'm open to you now. So go ahead and do that on your own. Lord, I thank you that every time we pray that prayer, you are a faithful God, and we proclaim that because it's true. And so, Lord, this morning, would you speak to us now? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to lead us to answer a driving question this morning. Here it is. Here's the question we're going to answer. Am I engaged in the thrill of God's mission? Am I engaged in the thrill of God's mission? Do I, do I understand how God has uniquely gifted me and how he's uniquely wired me and how he's then uniquely called me to engage? And am, am I experiencing on a continuous basis the thrill 
of being a part of the mission of God. We're going to unpack that as we go. You know, as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've been seeing in this book that the church has been established and that by God's grace and by the power of God's spirit, we've been seeing that the goodness of Jesus Christ is being made known to a lot of people. The church is rapidly growing. We've seen in Acts chapters 1 through 5 that the church began with just a few, that it literally around a dinner table, Jesus gave this huge charge to the church. He said this in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what we've seen is that that has happened, that the gospel, that it started in Jerusalem and then it went to Judea and then Samaria and then it's going to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 2, we saw the church in one day, it grew by 3,000. And then you fast forward to Acts chapter 4, and we see that that group now goes from 3,000 to about 5,000. By the time we get to Acts chapter 6, we see that the church in Jerusalem is at least 10,000 big. It's probably way too conservative, actually, of a number. Now, just as a little bit of, of, a, of a perspective, the city of Jerusalem, the population at max, would have been about 40,000 people. So imagine that you've got a, a city of 40,000 and a church of 10,000. And while this was a phenomenal start to the, to the church, it's growing so rapidly. People are finding Jesus Christ. Lives are being changed. And while the start was like, whoa, it's explosive, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's just the beginning, that more and more people would find Jesus, that more and more people would look at their lives and they would say, you know what, I need to be forgiven. More and more people would look at their lives and they would say, I need to have this hope that I could find in Jesus Christ. And we know that it did go further than Samaria. It did go to the ends of the earth and it goes to your neighborhood. It goes to my neighborhood. It goes to your coworkers and mine. A guy in... Um, uh, in this time period, he was a historian, actually, in the, of, of the early church period. And he was a professor at Yale University. And he made this statement. He said this. He said, never in so short a time has any other religious faith or, for that matter, any other set of ideas, religious, political, or economic, without the aid of physical force or social or cultural prestige, achieved so demanding a position in such an important culture. What he's saying is this, the gospel, it has never been like this before. It's unprecedented, the growth that it's experiencing, the traction the momentum, the lives that are being changed. And it's all being fueled by the Spirit of God and people looking at people around them and going, you've got to experience the love of God because life with God is so much better than life apart from Him. Never has there been a movement like this historically. Yet, when we get to chapter 6 in the book of Acts, it comes to a fork in the road. And there's a threat that comes on the scene, and this is a defining moment for the church. Will the church continue to grow? Will it continue to thrive? Will more and more people find the love of Jesus Christ, or will it be stifled? Will it fizzle out? Imagine if you went to a city, and you were hoping to get plugged into a church, but there was no church to go to. Imagine if the movement of God had been stopped. If you lead or if you've been a part of an organization really for any period of time, 
You know that there are certain times in the life of, of that organization, it's a, true of a church as well, that there are defining moments. There are times that you would say, this is a make it or break it moment for this organization. When we get to chapter 6, we're going to see a make it or break it moment. And what we see at the center of whether the church would flourish or whether the church would be stopped is this question. How will the people see themselves? Will the people of God see themselves and they'll say, you know what, it's all about me? Or will they look at this mission and will they engage in it to such a deep level? What will their commitment be to? There's a pastor, his name is Kent Hughes, and he told this story about this church in Dallas that came to a fork in the road. And at this fork in the road, they faced a threat and they didn't deal with it rightly. And as a result, a huge division uh, resulted. The division was so serious that both parties pursued litigation against the other parties of this church. And it got really nasty, backbiting the whole thing, you can imagine. And so it went to litigation, it went to the judge, and the judge then said, you know what, this really shouldn't be handled in civil court, so he handed the case back to the higher levels of leadership of the church and said, you guys need to figure this out. And so they went back and they began to meet with both groups over an extended period of time, and they couldn't reach a resolution. And so this is in the Dallas papers, and everybody's into it, and they're, they're, they're following with great eagerness this saga, kind of like a little soap opera, of what this church is doing. And when they could find no resolution, they finally awarded the church property to one group, and the other group started a church just blocks away. Now in the aftermath, in the paper for everyone to see, when they trace the problem back to its root, when they trace the problem back to its core, the catalyst for the whole thing, they realized, they found out that it all began at the church banquet. They realized that there was a leader in the church who received a piece of ham that was smaller than a piece of ham that was given to the child sitting next to him. That was the catalyst for the whole thing. Now, critics of the church in Dallas would have looked at that and would have laughed, right? But what a tragedy. Now, you contrast a story like that when a church gets stifled out. You contrast a story to, uh, like that to one of countless churches that get captivated by the mission of Jesus Christ. People that see, oh God, you've uniquely gifted me. You've uniquely gifted us for a reason. People that are committed to the mission. Do they have issues? Of course they have issues. They're people. But they deal with them in mature ways. And as a result, their gifts get deployed. And God does amazing things because they stay focused on the mission. They don't get sidetracked by things that are, that are unimportant or things that, that could be a big deal. They choose, no, 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 no. Above all, we're going to stay committed to the mission. That's the story that we see this morning in Acts chapter 6. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to see three movements in this text. And so this is how I want us to, to really think about this text. I think this is how it will make sense to you. Number one, in verse 1 of chapter 6, we're going to see the threat. We're going to see, okay, when they came to the fork in the road, what was the issue at hand? What was the threat that they faced? And then we're going to see in verses 2 through 6, the engagement. You're going to see how did this church get through it? Why? What, how did they rise up in a mature way and solve the threat that they faced? And then lastly, we're going to see in verse 7 that the gospel gets expanded. We're going to see, okay, in light of their maturity, in light of how they handled the problem, what happened? What was the result 
And so we're going to begin in verse 1, but I want you to keep this driving question in front of you this morning. Here it is. Am I engaged in the thrill of God's mission? Am I engaged in it? It says this in verse 1. It says, in those days, and remember now, these days were phenomenal. I mean, imagine it. It would have been like riding on a rocket ship of growth. The church is just expanding. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews. Now, when it says the Hellenistic Jews, you can think of it this way. It's referring to Jews that had, they came from Greek cultural roots, meaning this, they were born outside of Palestine. So think of that group. Those Jews, among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews. So when you read that, when you see Hebraic Jews, those are the ones that their cultural roots were founded right there in Jerusalem. And so here's the problem. Because their widows, this, they began to complain against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, this might not seem like a big deal. This might not seem like, whoa, why are you talking about this? seems like a kitchen problem. Like, come on, like, get some more people in there and hand out the food a little more fairly. What's going on? But this was a really big problem. And it had an edge to it. And the edge was this. It was a racial problem. When I read verse 1, there's one word, verse 1, there's one word that comes to mind. It's the word danger. Here's what's happening. The Hellenistic Jews who spoke Greek they felt like they were being treated differently than the Aramaic or the uh, Hebraic-speaking Jews. So you, it could have played out like this. It might have actually played out like this. They felt like they were being slighted, like maybe two loaves of bread were going to the Greek-speaking widow, and then just one loaf of bread was going to the Aramaic-speaking widow. But here's the problem. Instead of just solving it and bringing that problem forward, other translations say that they murmured, meaning this, there was a sense of gossip among them. Instead of just bringing the problem, they went behind the scenes in little groups, you know, and started going and going and going, and that created a big problem. Let me ask you, have you ever been around somebody, maybe at work or wherever, and, and they're talking negatively about somebody else? You know what I mean? And you just know it's just laced in gossip. It's not good. And if you ever get in that situation, you can ask one question that lots of times will just stop it in a heartbeat. You can say to that person, have you talked to the person yourself? Lots of times they'd be like, uh, no. Right. Now here's the thing. Word got out about this problem. It didn't come the right way, but the apostles heard about the problem. They knew and they, they heard, okay, one group's being slighted over the other group. That's not a good thing. We've got to deal with this. And so they, they took immediate action. It says this in verse 2. Again, this is, now we're on to the second movement. This is the part where it's, okay, there's the engagement now. It says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, you might read that or hear that, and you might be like, wow, well, what's the deal? I mean, are the apostles too good? Is that what they're saying? The apostles are saying they're too good to work at the food pantry? I mean, come on, apostles. Now, know this. That wasn't the case at all. I mean, think about what they've just experienced. Think about the trajectory of their life. Many of them are going to give their their lives serving Jesus Christ. So that wasn't the issue. They've just seen in John chapter 13, Jesus on his knees washing their feet, saying this to them, hey, I'm doing this so that you, I'm setting an example for you so that you can do as I have done. So their desire to serve was not the issue. 
The apostles knew, though, this, that if they took over this ministry of food distribution, if they stepped in and said, okay, fine, we'll run the food pantry, they knew that the ministry, the proclamation of the word of God would be neglected. And they knew that at all costs, they could not let that happen because that's how people were hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So instead, they looked at this church. Now imagine it. It's a church of 10,000 in a city of 40,000. And they looked at the people and they said, hey, God's given you this gift and he's given you this gift and this whole group, you've got this gift. Instead of just saying, hey, apostles, take on one more thing and neglect something else that you should be doing, they said, no, you all have gifts. We need, to, we need to all be a part of this mission that God has given them, given us. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. He said, we, all of us, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your, with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What Paul was saying is this, every single person on the planet, nobody gets left out. If you walk up and down our aisles or you sit in a circle, a small group, you're going to find nobody got left out of gift distribution. That God uniquely gifts every single person. And don't miss this. When you embrace your gift, you will experience more and more intimacy with your heavenly Father. You will experience the thrill. A lot of people have day jobs. They go throughout the whole week, and I applaud you. You work your tails off. But you have said things to me like this. I work all week, but what I get to do on the weekend how I get to serve, how I get to see a life change, whether it's here or in the community. You say things like this, that's a thrill that money can't buy. I love thrills. I love fast cars. I love cool boats. I like motor. I love thrills. But I got to tell you, when you see a life that's changed by the gospel, there is no greater thrill. I was thanking someone recently uh, for their serving in our community, and I I heard them say this back to me, and I've heard this many times. They said, I just love being a part of it. You don't need to thank me. It's a thrill for me. When you put your gifts to work in God-honoring ways, you get to experience the thrill of God changing lives. It's better than what money can buy. So this is what the apostles did then, verse 3. It says this. They said... Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, meaning they're not just picking anybody. They're not just filling slots. They're not just saying, hey, you have a pulse. Come on in. We got some work to do. No. They had some things they were, some grids they were looking for. They, okay, is a person full of the spirit, meaning if you're a follower of Christ, you have the spirit of God in you. You are. And wisdom. And then they said this, we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and to ministry of the word. And then it says, this proposal, it pleased the whole group. So they were like, that's a great idea. You guys keep doing what God gifted you to do. We'll do what we're gifted at, and we'll just keep this thing going. So they chose Stephen. Now, if you know anything about Stephen, Stephen wasn't just any old pick. Stephen was a guy, he would be the one that would proclaim the gospel, not just to Jews, but Stephen looked beyond that. He said the gospel is for everyone. Stephen is likely, we know that he becomes a martyr, likely the first Christian martyr. So Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also they chose Philip and his four friends with weird names. And, and then they, they chose Nicholas from Antioch. And 
and he's a convert to Judaism. And what did they do? They presented the men to the apostles. They prayed and they laid their hands on them, meaning this, they commissioned them. They said, okay, God has given you this gift and we're sending you out today. We're blessing you. We're saying, go. God anoint their work. God pour fuel on their flame of their faith, God. Do a great thing in and through them. And then we see this. This is the last movement, I think, in this text. We see the expansion. It says this in, in verse 7. Here it is. It says, so, like, there's a huge word actually in the text. As a result of them handling this issue maturely, as people stepping up and saying, God, you've uniquely gifted me. So, what happened? The word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem, it increased rapidly. The church continued to grow. I mean, remember, it started at a dinner table. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 2, it grows to 3,000. Acts chapter 4, it grows to 5,000. Acts chapter 6, 10,000. And where is it going? Up and to the right. It increased rapidly, and a large number of priests even became obedient to the faith. Now, this is significant. Because if you would have been in that day, you would have known that the priests caused more trouble than anybody else. It was the priests and it was the Pharisees who constantly opposed the message of Jesus Christ. They wanted to add all sorts of things to it or they felt threatened. And so the fact that it says that the priests even became obedient to faith in Jesus Christ is so significant. But because what it is telling us is this, the power of the gospel is changing lives. And so many of you are here today and you would say the power of the gospel has changed you. It's incredible. Now don't miss this. One of the key reasons why this church increased so rapidly, why did it grow to reach more and more people? It's because people realized, God, you've given me a gift and I won't sit on the sidelines. God, I want to be involved in the thrill of your mission. Imagine for a second that it's your birthday. It's great having a birthday, isn't it? Imagine it's your birthday, though, and, and somebody who really cares about you gives you something like this, right? Now, this is wrapped really nice. I was telling Christina, I said to first service, if I could ever wrap something this nice for Christina, she'd be so blessed, you know? I mean, this is nice, right? But imagine somebody gives you a gift, and you know, when a gift is wrapped nice, that means what's inside it is really good, Right? And so imagine somebody gives you a gift, it's your birthday, and you say to them, thank you so much. I love the, how it's wrapped, it's beautiful. And then you say, you know what, let's just wait and open gifts later. And so you go through the party and the person's not like offended by that. They're like, oh cool, you got, an, you got a little order of party, right? But you kind of go through the party and you get to the end of it and the person who gave you the gift is just waiting for you to open it kind of bated breath. They're like, wow, I mean, they poured a lot into it. But imagine you get to the end of the party. Instead of opening the gift, you simply say, you know what? I, I, I'm just going to wait a while, Matt. I, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not even going to open that up. That would be what? Awkward. That would be so awkward, wouldn't it? What would it be like to be the giver of a gift that never gets opened. What I love about the mission of the church is this. God gave a gift to every single person, but it does end up in our court. And the most foolish thing that we could do is to say, God, I love the gift. I, I can't believe you wrapped it so nicely. But for us to never open it up, it would be foolish. 
I've heard it explained this way. And because maybe you ask this question, you say, hey, Jeff, how do I understand how God has gifted me? I mean, this early church, it explodes because people got engaged in the thrill of the gospel, God's mission. But I don't know how I contribute. What does that look like for me? How are you, how, how am I gifted? How do I find that out? I've heard it explained this way. I thought this was helpful. Imagine that you're at a table at a restaurant. It's a nice restaurant, and you're there with some of your, your closest friends, and dessert has just been served, and it's a delicious dessert. And so you're there, and you see one of your friends across the table from you has this piece of beautiful cherry pie, and it's, you know, it's got stuff all over the plate that they do, you know, and it looks really good. And you see, though, that as your friend is taking their fork about to cut into this beautiful piece of pie, you see that their plate is dangerously close to the edge of the table. But before you can do anything about it, they take their fork, they press the plate, the plate flips, and the pie ends up right on their lap. Now, how you respond in that moment might have something to do, it might help glean a little bit of light on what kind of gift God has given you. Because if you jump up and you start taking napkins off people's laps, and you're like, I'll just I'll fix this up, you know, and, and you start helping out really quick, you might have the gift of service, Right? I mean, that's kind of your thing, your MO, you just jump on it right away. Now, if you look at the poor victim and you begin to offer them advice, you say, you know, you probably shouldn't eat a piece of pie like that. You know, I mean, you, you got to keep a piece of pie at least an, half an arm's distance away from the edge of the table. And then you find yourself offering them instructions. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking this is going to be a great illustration for sometime when I'm up front teaching, right? If that's you, if that's what comes to your mind, you might have the gift of teaching. If you laugh out loud, as soon as they flip the pie onto their lap, you slap your leg, you bust a gut right there, and you're just laughing at them. And then you say, oh, if only you knew I have done things far dumber than this. And you say it just because you want to encourage them. You might have the spiritual gift of serving, I mean of encouragement. Now, here's the other person. If you see all this happen and you say to yourself right away, you don't help clean up, you don't encourage them, you just say, waiter, waiter, over here, we need another piece of pie. And then you say, actually, we all need another piece of pie. So everybody, the whole restaurant can have a piece of pie. You know what you might have? You might have either a sweet tooth or you have the spiritual gift of giving. I was at dinner the other night with our small group. This guy in our group has the spiritual gift of giving. Waiter brought the ticket. So that no one else could pay, he picks up the ticket, and instead of waiting for the waiter, he pursues the waiter, follows him, and pays for the meal. He has the gift of giving. Now, if you look at this whole incident, and the first thing that comes to your mind is a list of things that need to be done. And you start going, hey, I need to, we need to organize this. Okay, okay, well, somebody needs to get the plates, and somebody needs to reorder the, the dessert and get dessert for everybody. And you start ticking through kind of what you would do, you might have the gift of leadership. Now, if you're there and you see it all happen and you say to yourself and you actually say to your friend, I can't believe you didn't see that coming. You actually might have the gift of prophecy, you know? You'd be like, Man, I saw that coming a mile away. Or lastly, if you stand up at the meal and you say, you're such a pig. This is a beautiful restaurant. You've ruined the mood of our meal. Then you're just mean and critical and <laughs> you need to work on that first, right? But here's the thing, no matter what gift you have, God has given it to you. And you were created 
And you were made in the beautiful image of God. And so it's your opportunity, and it's my opportunity, not to just say, God, I love how you wrapped my gift, but for you to say, God, how can I deplore my gift? And know that when you deplore your gift, when you live as someone who's sent out, you begin to experience an intimacy with your heavenly Father like no other. And you begin to say things like, you don't need to thank me. I'm living the thrill of the mission. Just this week, I, I love this. Just in our, our midst this week, um, at Castellar Elementary School, we had a group of volunteers that stepped forward. And what did they do? They served Castellar's entire staff team breakfast just to say, hey, we appreciate the work that you do in our city. Now, here's what was true about that 100% volunteer run. There were people there with the gift of leadership. There were people there with the gift of service. There were people there with the gift of hospitality. And there were surely volunteers there with the gift of encouragement to those teachers. It was a beautiful thing. Just yesterday, we had a group of Brooksiders. Look at this, look at this crew. They packed a thousand boxes for families that are struggling financially so that they could have food. Now, what a beautiful group, but think about this. All people have gifts. God gives them to us. We're unique. What a group. I mean, think about how many spiritual gifts are in that crowd, and they put them to work to be a blessing. Wednesday night, we had a worship night in this place. And I tell you, it was incredible. And I sat kind of over in that area, and about halfway through it, I just thought to myself, I'm so glad. I'm so, I looked at the stage, and I saw a gal sitting here, standing here, singing her heart out, and another gal here, and guys over here, and guys in the back. And, and I just thought to myself, wow, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that they didn't look at their spiritual gift and just go, you know what? I'm just going to keep wrapped up. I'm not going to open it. Why would I share that with anybody? But they didn't do that. And I'll tell you, people get blessed. Brookside, hear this, please. Thank you. You're a church that you serve your hearts out. As I was preparing this week, there was a part of me that thought, you know what, preach a message and try to rally the crowd to say, you know what, yes, God, you've given me a gift, and God, I need to use it. And I thought, yes, definitely need to do that. But the other part of me as I was preparing, I thought, God, you have, you have gifted this church, and you've prompted them to be givers. You've prompted them to be servants. And I just want to say to you, thank you. There are some of you in this room that you have been serving this church and it has been thriving decade upon decade because you have continually served in it. Because you haven't looked at your gift and said, I'll keep the lid on it. But you've said, no, God, you created me in your image for such a great reason and you've deplored it. So church, thank you. I love sitting in the small groups. I was sitting in our small group the other night, our couple's small group, and, and you can just tell when you're in a group of people, who's gifted how, right? I mean, you just look around the room and kind of go, oh, that person, they're always encouraging. Now they got the gift of encouragement. So all they got, just by the way that they prepped the food and what they brought and what they liked and all that kind of stuff, gift of hospitality. Right away, I could tell in our group, I thought, well, man, this couple, this guy right there, whoa, he's got the gift of leadership. It's so clear. Think about how has God gifted you? Um, I, I found this to be helpful. I saw this a few years ago. Think of this as a, as a pool, right? And this as a diving board, we can talk about pools since it didn't snow this last week, right? Okay, so that's a diving board. Now imagine for a second that you're at the pool and you're on the diving board and you didn't, maybe you didn't even really want to jump off the diving board, but you decide to jump into the pool. And the pool here represents the activity of God. 
The, the pool here represents the realm in which you get to engage in the thrill of God's mission. So imagine you jump off, and right here, you step in and you serve. Maybe it's on a host team or something like that. Maybe it's somewhere out in the community. Now, here's what I want to tell you. You might find, oh, my first, the first time I tried to deplore my gift, I thrived. But you might not. Oftentimes, you don't. And so what you need to do then is you go over here and you say, okay, I'm going to try this for a while. Maybe I'll lead a small group or maybe I should go down here and serve and you'll go over here. It might take you four or five times till you say, you know what? That's my sweet spot. God, you created me to do this. But whatever you do, let me encourage you, please don't do this. This is a lawn chair, not a very comfortable one, but there it is. Whatever you do, don't get out of the pool. Don't say, oh, you know what, I'm just going to get out. I'm just going to sit over here and put my feet up and, and I'm just going to hold my gift. God, I thank you for it. It's cool. You sit with it. I don't know what it is. Don't do that. Stay in the water. In Acts chapter 6, the church faced a threat that could have sidelined the whole movement of God. But instead of it sidelining the movement of God, what happened? People said, God, you've given me something that I'm going to steward. And one day, God, I want to stand before you, and you're going to look at me, and I want you to be able to say, based on the gifts that you gave me, God, I want you to say to me, well done. You took what I gave you. It might have taken you a while. You might have had to move around a little bit, but you figured it out and you realized, okay, God, you gave me two, three, maybe four things that you wanted me to do over and over again that would impact the lives of people. Church, let's be the kind of people that we never get out of the water. We look at it and go, God, there's nothing that I would rather be involved in than the thrill of making you known, whether that's in this place or whether it's out in the realm that God has you in. And so let's pray together and let's say, God, we want to be used by you. Am I vitally involved? Am I engaged in the thrill of God's mission? Let's pray that that would be true. Yeah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for your church. Lord, it is an absolute presence to be, uh, an absolute privilege to be in the presence of people, many of whom have so faithfully served you year after year after year after year. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would continue to grow your church so that more and more people experience the love of God. And for those who are here today, and maybe this is new news, and they're like, oh, God, nobody got left out on the, the gift giving. And that's true. Nobody did. You did not get left out. Lord, I pray that today you would help them see. Maybe you, they would talk to somebody and they would realize, okay, God, this is what you make me passionate for. This is what I'm good at. And Lord, might we begin to live as a sent people, fully engaging in the thrill of your mission. Lord, we love you. You are so incredibly worthy. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.